Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, this is Joseph Martin at Light Organ Records, and you are listening to the Push Button Radio Podcast. So it was really an experience putting these episodes together and getting to connect with all of these songwriters and hear their stories. It was great to find the common threads between Bruce Coburn and Hoxley Workman or Andy Kim and Johnny Payne. But this episode is a little different. We're stepping away from the songwriters for a moment and pulling back the curtain for a chat between two Canadian music industry legends. Broadcaster Alan Cross and my boss, Jonathan Simpkin, the president of Light Organ and 604 Records. Now, both of these guys have made lives in music and quite specifically Canadian music. I grew up with Alan Cross and the ongoing history of new music. He's a Canadian radio legend. And Canadian radio, if you've listened to pop, country, or rock radio in Canada at all in the last 20 years, I guarantee you've been listening to music that Jonathan Simpkin helped promote, market, or release. So that's all fine. Two guys in their 50s who've had a lot of success. Great. But what made this conversation so fun is both of them went right back to the 70s and started hitting on the very experiences that drew them into music. And it's really touching. After so many years working in music, it could still have the power to draw you back to that time of impressionable teenage bliss when the right song would really change your life. So get into it. Alan Cross and Jonathan Simpkin on the Push Button Radio Podcast. I'm looking at the liner notes to Push Button Radio, and because I'm of a certain age, a certain vintage, uh, a lot of the stuff jumps out at me. I mean, this, in many ways, was the music of my youth. Uh, what kind, okay, I'm going to tell you right now. My father had a 1973 green Oldsmobile Delta 88 with a big push button radio in the dash, just like yours. Wow. 
So our both our fathers had bad taste. The terrible cars. <laughs> terrible, terrible cars. But I I was in that car, for example, uh, in August of 1977, when somebody broke in on the radio at uh, 3.40 in the afternoon. We were heading west on Portage Avenue, and they had the news that Elvis Presley had died. Yeah. Uh, and then we would be going to and from all the different you know, hockey games and baseball games and all the other things we would do. And the radio was always on. And I would insist that it would be on my radio stations. So you grew up in Vancouver. Who were your your radio stations? There were two main ones at that point, um, as far as AM sort of um, top 40 radio. So um, CKLG, Mm -hmm. LG 73, and um, um, CFUN 1410. Right. Um, So those were the two that... um, I constantly had on, um, uh, you know, I, 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 when we were riding around in the car and my dad too, like he, 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 he dug that kind of music as well. Like he was an older guy. He had me later in his life. So he loved, um, older music as well, you know, swing bands and stuff like that. But, but he also liked stuff that was going on on the radio then. And, um, it's funny, like to hear you describe your experience sounds so very much like my own. I'm going to guess that when you were in school, you um, probably identified yourself with one station or the other, or at least one over the other. And that became part of your identity with your fellow students. Um, I mean, in Winnipeg, we had CKY, CKRC, and CFRW. And uh, the station that you listened to said something about you. Was that the same thing in Vancouver? Yes, but more on the FM side than on the AM side. So, you know, as you got older... Um, it's funny because like uh, people in the music business, you know, you get asked those questions a lot, like what was the first band you ever really, and I mean, if people say to me, well, what's the first band you really fell in love with? Well, it was the who that was the first band that I really fell in love with, but that was in the latter part of the seventies. Like that was when I was already in high school. And, um, uh, you know, at that point, um, Fox was, was around and that was still, you know, that was kind of the first station I ever felt sort of committed to. I didn't feel that same sense of commitment to the AM stations. That could just be a function of the fact that, you know, I was in elementary school. I mean, I wasn't even old enough to have those kinds of opinions about anything. Um, so, cause it is funny. I mean, it's like when, it, when the question is phrased that way, what's the band you first fell in love with? You know, that's, that's an easier answer than what's the music you first fell in love with. Because, you know, I was already so hooked on AM radio, then that became sort of uncool. When, once you start smoking pot, um, AM radio suddenly wasn't that cool. <laughs> but the truth is, that is the music I first fell in love with. All those songs that are on that compilation and, you know, other music from that era, which seemed to be less about the artist and really just more about the song, you know? Okay, before we go into the CD, the album, whatever you want to call it, I don't even know these days, um, the collection, the compilation. Yes. uh, It's called Push Button Radio. Explain to some people what a push button radio is. So um, back in the day, at least back in the 70s, and uh, I don't even know when it really changed, but um, when people drove bigger cars and, um, you know, before... um, I don't know when it, when it seemed uh, it was at a time when 
it wasn't a negative thing to be driving a huge gas guzzling car. Um, most cars had radios, of course, that was one of the features, but this is before you had, um, you know, digital anything. So these are all these sort of old analog radios that every car had, and they had these big clunky plastic buttons. So, you know, you could preset, you know, maybe five or six stations and, you know, but it was these really kind of awkward, clunky, giant sort of radios that were in each car. So, you know, if you wanted to go from, you know, station one to station two, you know, that, that was a physical experience. You had to get in there. It was tactile. I mean, you had to get in there and, you know, really have a little bit of strength to sort of shove that plastic button in. And um, yeah, so, I mean, really, it's just the way radios looked in cars, um, you know, throughout the 70s, probably earlier, too. But, uh, you know, um, if you had a car in the 1970s, you had one of those radios. And um, if you wanted to switch stations, it was um, it was an experience. <laughs> if you were in a 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88, you had a Delco radio. Delco, nice. <laughs> I remember that. And the 1970s is a very important part of Canadian music history because up until January 18th of 1971, there were no Canadian content rules for radio. Um, there was no legal requirement for any radio station to play a certain amount of Canadian music. That all changed in the late 60s and was finally made into law in January of 1971. Yep. And from that date on, a whole bunch of music, a whole bunch of domestic music ended up on the radio that had never been there before. And some of it was quite good, finally getting its exposure. Most of it, though, was not necessarily ready for prime time <laughs> because we had no music industry. There was there were you know, we didn't have producers. We didn't have studios. We didn't have, uh, you know, any of the infrastructure that was required to have a domestic music industry. We were basically branch plants of the United States, the UK. Yeah. But the 70s was that time when uh, we went through some growing pains. Uh, and there was some terrible Canadian music on the radio. But at the same time, some of this music had its endearing qualities because uh, there was a certain naivete about the whole thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was a whole substrata of music that never saw the light of day outside of Canada. Um, you know, and that, that's when people could actually become stars in their own country mm. without um, having to have been a star somewhere else first. Because, I mean, I, I, the first band I remember, Canadian band, um, in my youth that, that I remember thinking, oh, wow, they're, they're you know, they're a big band everywhere is so a guess who. Mm. Um, that was kind of the first band that was getting played on Canadian radio, but it was also getting played all over the world. Um, but that's what I guess I find so endearing about a lot of these artists is that, um, like take a band, like, I think there's a couple of songs by barefoot on that compilation. I mean, did anybody know who that was outside of Canada? People barely knew who they were within Canada. Um, but boy, those songs, you know, every time, especially that, um, Molly, every time Molly came on the radio, I loved it. Didn't know who it was. Didn't really care who it was probably knew the name barefoot maybe i didn't but i knew the song and every time that song came on i reacted so it's 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 interesting because because there is that sort of 
subset of Canadian sort of AM music that really existed nowhere else except Canadian AM radio. And um, if you were not somebody who was growing up at that period of time in Canada, you wouldn't know it. You never would know it. And um, I guess that's why I feel so close to it because it did feel like such a funny little club. Um, And um, yet at the same time, affected me so deeply on so many levels, those songs, and still do to this day if I hear them. Well, let's talk about some of them. Um, Ian and Sylvia had been around before the CanCon rules came into effect. So this basically gave them an opportunity to be heard on a wider basis. And, you know, you were always, you were on my mind, was was easily one of their their biggest songs when it came out in 1972. Um, That was one of those Canadian songs that, didn't necessarily stay on the AM station, uh, on the uh, on the top 40 stations. They moved over to some of the, the full service stations that mom and dad listened to because it, it wasn't rock and roll and it was quite a, a, a nice, pleasant song. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think I say something about it in the liner notes, but I, I, I don't even remember that on the radio at all. I mean, to me, it, it feels like a song I heard all over the place, but not necessarily on AM radio. I mean, I think, you know, I had a camp counselor at camp who sang it. Like, it was that kind of a song mm-hmm. that kind of pervaded culture generally, um, not necessarily something that jumps out of me as a, quotes radio song. Uh, another one is uh, The Hell I Got from, from Michelle Pagliaro. Yeah. And this is one of the, the great Canadian songs yes. from, from that era. Ended up on a whole bunch of KTEL records. Yes. And is still played uh, on on classic hits radio stations and also uh, some classic rock radio stations. It also became a country hit. Somebody covered it and it was a country hit. I mean, um, what does everybody call him? Paj, I guess they call him in Quebec. Yes, I, you're right. Uh, he, he was on the radio a lot with a lot of songs. And I know at some point in time that um, there's a French song, J'attends, oh, I can't... Um, Jeton Frappa or something. I, it, it, I believe is the biggest selling single still in Quebec history. Um, but uh, boy, I loved him. And there's another example. Uh, I knew the name for sure because that wasn't his only hit. In the 70s, he had a lot of stuff get on the radio. But um, I really didn't know jack shit about him. <laughs> no, I knew the name. That was it. But um, I, to this day, I sometimes wonder why he was not a lot bigger than he was just because, um, man, he wrote some great songs. Next up, my great Canadian <coughs> guilty pleasure. And that's wow. April, April wine. <laughs> now, I, I guess I, I, I discovered April wine probably with could have been a lady and bad side of the moon in, in 72 uh, and then Miles Goodwin had a, a, a string of hits, uh, you know, You Won't Dance With Me and, and, and uh, you know, tons of others. Uh, and then as we get closer to the end of the decade, the band toughens up a little bit more. I mean, they, they had, um, you know, the, the On The Stand Back album, which is a pretty rocking record. But then too, as we get towards the end of the, the, the 70s, they somehow decide that they're going to get much harder, much more, you know, heavy in the guitars. And, and uh, Say Hello is, is one of those songs. Yeah. Yeah. Although, you know, technically it's not going to be on the compilation, unfortunately, because Miles wouldn't clear it. 
Are you kidding me? It was very strange. It was very, very strange. Like he, um, he, he responded initially and said, yeah. And then um, he went radio silent and it was a bit of a heartbreak. So I'm going to try again because um, that might end up hopefully being a B side. Um, but yeah, no, unfortunately, and I never even knew why, but it's funny, right? I mean, I tell the story about Terry Jackson that in the liner notes where, um, same thing, some of these guys, um, don't go through CMRA. And for those who don't know, CMRA is the Canadian Mechanical Reproduction Rights Agency who represents almost every publisher in the world. So if I want to go and make a cover song of, I don't know, a Prince song, I can go to CMRA, apply for a mechanical license. And then they'll give me the right to make the songs. But there are some artists who are outside of that. Um, one being Terry Jacks, one being Miles. So you can't just get that automatic clearance. You actually have to go to them directly to get the clearance. I was successful with Terry Jacks, unsuccessful with Miles. Okay, so let's go to Terry Jacks and the Poppy family. Terry, is Terry living in Australia or where is he now? No, he's here. He's in BC, I believe, somewhere remote. Um, I, I knew where it was. It might be the Sunshine Coast, but he's he's here somewhere remote. Did uh, did he have health problems? Um, did he have what? I'm sorry, health problems. Oh, um, yes, I believe he did. Yes, but he's all. I mean, he's around. He's okay because we're, okay. we're talking to him about um, maybe doing a video for one of those songs. Which again, because there's no publisher. Um, I, I need to go to him directly. And uh, I have already gotten an initial uh, response that it looks like they're going to be fine with us doing a video for the Zola's cover. Okay, so let's talk about Terry Jacks. Terry Jacks uh, and Susan Jacks, his wife, yep. uh, she had a bunch of hits. Uh, Which Way You Going, Billy, for example. Terry Jacks had Seasons in the Sun, the sappiest, most successful song in the history of Canadian radio, I think. Um, and then there was the Poppy family, which was, I guess, Terry and Susan together. And yeah. then they had a whole bunch of hits. Some big ones, too. And I mean, I, you know, I, even at the time, even though I was young and not really understanding relationships, you know, there, there was something, I think I say in the liner notes, they were like a scary version of the Carpenters. Like they, the songs were sugary sounding, but the lyrics were always very, not menacing, but it kind of, to me, sort of showed the underbelly of domestic life, like uh, the less pleasant aspects of domestic life, the the paranoia, the regret. Um, so even even as a kid, without really fully understanding those sorts of issues, I, I found that music very affecting. And um, they had a moment, and it was a pretty big moment. Um, and then I guess personally, they 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 fell apart, and 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 that was kind of that. But I mean, to me, one of the funniest things is. And again, I, I talk about it a bit in the liner notes is uh, after I sent Terry the uh, the version of um, of Where Evil Grows, um, I called him and, and said, uh, what do you think? And he said, uh, gotta say, I think that singer in the Zola sings it way better than my wife did. <laughs> Which I know they had a very acrimonious sort of <laughs> breakup. So I don't know if that was just a, a chance to take a shot at the ex or if you really felt that way, but it was quite thrilling to hear him say that. And then the Louise Burns cover of um, That's Where I Went Wrong, his comment was, uh, I like it, 
but she somehow managed to make it more depressing than the original. <laughs> so he he was very nice. I was so scared of him in a way because I'd heard so many stories about about him. You know, I was scared of dealing with him, but he ended up being really lovely to deal with. And um, yeah, no, I, I that was a real thrill getting to to know him even just a little bit. That's a that's a great thing. A creepy, scary uh, carpenters. I mean, when I hear where evil grows today. Yeah, uh, it's still unsettling. Yes. yes. Very unsettling. Yep. Next up, we'll do uh, Wondering Where the Lions Are from Bruce Coburn, which yeah. is, uh, well, that is an American hit, right? I believe it's still the biggest hit in the U.S. he had. I know um, uh, Rocket Launcher, uh, if I had a Rocket Launcher, did okay, but, um, and Lovers in a Dangerous Time, but I believe that is the highest, mm-hmm. certainly at a certain point, it was the highest charting U.S. song he'd had. So Terry, uh, sorry, uh, Bruce was was, was kind of like um, kind of like Buffy St. Marie, kind of like Gordon Lightfoot, uh, in, in that he came out of the Yorkville thing in the 1960s. And unlike Neil Young and John Kay and some of the other people from that scene, never moved out of Canada. He, he stayed here and was, was very proud, very happy to stay here and managed to have an international career and a very successful domestic career, you know, without moving. That's rare. Yeah, and I guess it was Bernie, right? His manager the whole time was... Yeah, Bernie Finkelstein, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and you know, it's funny because I remember that song so well. I don't remember it being on the radio so much. I remember a friend of mine, so I must have already been in high school. I remember a friend of mine playing it for me. And um, I actually went out and bought the vinyl, you know, after hearing that song. And... Um, you know, I guess it was a radio song when I did my research. It's like, oh, yeah, I guess it did make it uh, on the radio. And in fact, even did very well in the U.S. radio. It's a wonderful song. It's just one of those un- unique songs that doesn't sound like anything else. Y- you hear it now even. And it's like, was it recorded yesterday? Was it recorded in the 60s? Like, it's it just feels kind of timeless. And, um, you know, I don't know a whole lot about Bruce, to be honest. But um, I sure love that song. I was working at a grocery store when that song was out and we had it on one of the top 40 stations out of Winnipeg. And uh, when it was a hit, there it was every hour and 20 minutes, <laughs> yeah. top 40 radio. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, I well acquainted with that song on the radio, uh, the band and out of the blue from hotel Mira is on here. Yes. That's an interesting choice. Um, I, I, that is Canadian content. Yes. Yes, I think it's funny because, you know, I, I don't think Hotel Mirror guys were born when it when that song came out. And, you know, as I mentioned in the, in the liner notes, there's two songs in there that technically don't fall within the parameters I had set, which was, you know, it's got to be CanCon. It had to have been released in the 70s and it had to have been a, a legitimate sort of, uh, excuse me, a legitimate AM hit. And that was really not an AM hit. In fact, I don't even think that was really an FM hit. It was, I don't even know where I first heard it. Um, but when they came to me with that, how could I say no? I, I, that's one of the most beautiful songs I think I've ever heard. Um, and it's unique for a few reasons. I mean, number one, it's not Levon Helm singing. And, and usually the band songs are Levon Helm. There's two songs that Robbie Robertson sang. That's one of them. Um, but it's perfect. He's got such a plaintive kind of voice. Like I get why Levon Helm sang most of it. Levon had so much character in his voice and boy, that was a defining part of what the band were. But for a song like this, 
is so otherworldly to me. You know, I listen to it and it, it just, it, it just kind of transports me and, and it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a, a it's the seventies. It just feels again, timeless to me. And, and um, I just think it's one of the most beautiful songs ever written. I re, I really do. I listen to it a lot and it's definitely my most listened to band song, which is weird because of course it's not their best known song by a mile, you know, Cripple Creek or uh, The Weight or, you know, there's so many other songs that, that, that really made more of a, a general impact. But um, I, I think that's my favorite band song. And I was stoked when they covered it. The other thing that's interesting about it is, you know, we have a few bands who did very trippy versions of some of these songs. You know, the the cover of uh, Bruce Coburn by the Mounties, that's a very tripped out sort of version of that song. Same with the with Out of the Blue. Um and I love that. I love when people sort of give their own interpretation on something. And, you know, some of the covers on here are very karaoke. Like they're, they're very, um, it sounds like a redo and that's fine too, because the songs are so great. It works. But um, I loved what Hotel Mirror did, especially since I knew full well, they didn't have really too much idea who the band were or certainly didn't know that song. So um, yeah, it's a great one. I love that song. Two weeks ago, I got an email from somebody saying the song is stuck in our head and we can't think of who it is. All we know is that the line, there's a line in it that goes, love me like you do, like you do, like you do, like you do. Yes. And I, immediately that's, that's Hey Virginia from Bill Amesbury. Yes. Which you had to grow up in the seventies listening yes. to Canadian AM radio yeah. for that song to stick in your head. And you've got that on the, on the record. I was so happy when when Fine Times decided to do that just because what a strange song. Um, and, you know, there's so many things that are interesting about that song. It's the first single that was ever put out by Casablanca Records in the U.S., um, which, you know, Neil Bogart's label. Um, so that's interesting. It was a bit of a hit in the States, too. It didn't do phenomenally, but it, it did OK in the States. Um, and what a strange song. I mean, um, you know, at the time, I had no idea it was a song about sexual frustration. When I actually went back and looked at the lyrics, you know, when we were doing the compilation, I was almost a little bit shocked because it just never, you know, um, what's the line? Um, I think my belt will break. Every time you say wait, I think my belt will break. Yeah. I mean, I start to perspirate, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I just think it's a genius song. And I got to know it's, you know, um, Bill is now Barbara. Oh, I don't know if you knew that. No. She is now Barbara. Mm -hmm. And I got to know her a little bit, too, because same thing. I had to go directly to her for the clearance. And um, and so I, I had a number of phone calls with her and I even tried to help her get that song back on the, the streaming services, because that song is not available on streaming services, any of them. And so I talked to her old manager. It was interesting, like. It's just one of those things where, you know, she did some paperwork back in the 70s. You know, Casablanca went under. It then got bought by Republic Records. I tried talking to some people at Republic Records. I kept hitting, you know, I kept hitting the wall on that. So, unfortunately, I think it's a travesty that that song's not available on Spotify or Apple or any of them. It's crazy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and that's another really tripped out version. Like, they really did a tripped out version of that song, which, unfortunately, I should have laughed, but Barbara doesn't like it at all. <laughs> which, hey, you know what? It's, uh, what can you do? Uh, can't make somebody like something. But, um, yeah, I, I was thrilled when they 
who they decided to cover that song just because, um, like I say, I, I feel like, um, um, I don't know that, 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 that song, if I have to pick a top five from, from AM and the seventies, I think that one's going to be there just because every time it came on the radio, man, like, uh, it just kind of broke through everything else. Like it was, um, a very, very unique hit. I first heard that song while I've been hearing on the radio. I think it's, I have all my KTEL records from back then. <laughs> oh, nice. And I think that was on a KTEL record called Fantastic. I'm sure it was. Yeah. In fact, uh, like, I don't know if you saw the artwork for our album, but it's very much fashioned on a <laughs> KTEL release. Cause, uh, man, I loved all that stuff. Sound explosion. And yes. And 22 explosive hits. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Canadian mint. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, next we have uh, Baby I Love You by, by Andy Kim I've talked to Andy Kim many times lovely gentleman yes and uh, you know he knows he hit the jackpot a whole bunch of times in his career both as Andy Kim and Baron Longfellow um, and, and, and Baby I Love You is just you know one of those you know immortal 60s type songs that happened to come out in the 1970s yeah he's an, I, I, I've had the pleasure of talking to him as well and um, I, I, I second what you said. He, he's, a, he's a, at least he seemed to be. I talked to him for maybe half an hour. Seemed to be a really lovely, generous guy. And um, you know, forget the Andy Kim and Baron, Baron Longfellow stuff. He wrote. He fucking wrote "Sugar Sugar." I know for the Archies, which is like, you know, I listened to that recently. I think it was when we were putting together the liner notes. I was just sort of curious. That song is still incredible. Like. I'm not going to say I've sat there and listened to it a ton, but man, I listened to it a few weeks ago and it, it actually blew me away in a way. Like I was just like, my God, what a genius like songwriter. What a genius song. Um, you know, that was a massive worldwide hit for a reason because it's, it's, it's incredible, the production, but um, yeah, um, I was, I was pretty stoked when the Shilohs decided to do an Andy Kim song. Cause if you're going to do a compilation about Canada, seventies music, and you don't have Andy Kim, that's, that's, uh, that would be a bit of a travesty. Now we get to, to barefoot. And to be honest with you, um, up until I looked at the liner notes, I thought their name was B-A-R-E foot, not B-E-A, not B-E-A-R. Uh, because I don't think I ever remember seeing them on any of my KTEL records. And it was, it, it didn't make sense to have like a bear's foot as opposed to a barefoot. I keep getting confused with that too, to be honest, even as you're saying it now, I'm having a panic attack going, I hope we didn't write it wrong, but no, I've, I looked it up a bunch and um, I agree. I, I, I would default to the other spelling just because it seemed to make more sense. But, um, and it's funny cause they're a mystery to me, that band, like I, I, other than the fact that, you know, one of the guys is um, Rick Danko's brother um, from the band. Um, I think his name's Terry Danko. Uh, I hope I don't have that wrong, but um, you know, um, uh, so that's an interesting sort of biographical sort of fact that I didn't know until we did the compilation and I did a bit of research, but, um, you know, there are two hit wonder, um, I think, cause it was, um, they had Molly and they had, um, there's a girl out there. who Passing time. Thank you. And both of them got covered, which was strange to me. Like I had sent out a list of songs to all our bands and I didn't say you have to cover these. I was just giving examples. And I think I had those barefoot songs on the list just as examples. And it's pretty interesting that two different artists, neither of which were even born. I don't think when those songs were on the radio 
for some reason, both gravitated to that. It certainly wouldn't have been because of the name, because I don't think either of them would have ever heard of Barefoot. But, you know, something about those songs really spoke to them. And so, you know, Fake Shark did a version of, um, sorry, you just said the song title. Passing Uh, Time. And um, it's great. It's it's rollicking and fun, just like the original was. And then um, Molly was done by Frederick, which is actually Colin Jans. That's just a name he uses. And, you know, I, I had trouble at first with that one. And I think it's because I love that song so much. And, it, it you know, you hear a cover and you sort of, you know, it's somehow it feels a little disappointing or something. But boy, it's grown on me over time in a huge way. And I think a lot of it is because he really... He really, the synth work on it really captures some of those beautiful melodic moments that I love so much on that song. It's such a um, sort of dramatic, sort of epic sounding song. And I I think Colin kind of captured that, um, even though, again, it's kind of tripped out. It's funny how many of these bands decided to make sort of trippy versions of these songs. But um, I'm really pleased with it. I listen to it all the time now. It just took a second to, um, to grow on me. Uh, Ken Tobias and I Want to Make Music is another one of those songs that crossed over to the mom and dad stations because yeah. it just seems so wholesome. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember my mom, I think, singing it in the car. My mom never sang along with anything on the radio. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, just a, a, a gem of a chorus, a great hook. And uh, who did you get to do that one? Um, we got uh, the, the Fugitives, which is um, a sort of a, for ba- lack of a better phrase, a kind of old alt folk band mm-hmm. um and um yeah they i had they just came up with that themselves and chose it and it's a fairly um it's a fairly um um what's the word uh it it it, it, it they didn't they didn't stray too far from the it's original faithful. it's faithful to the original um but there's a couple of great moments in it there's some um, they do a great sort of sing-along chorus to it um, which is, um, which is really great. And, um, yeah, I, I it's funny because I, I think I mentioned in the notes that I, I don't really know much about Ken Tobias. Like, and then when I went and looked him up, I'm like, Oh, I mean, this wasn't the only thing he did at all. Um, it's the only thing I ever knew of him, but, um, you know, another sort of Canadian guy who had a number of hits both for himself and others. And, um, yeah, so it's it's a great addition because um, I might not know a lot about Ken, but I sure heard that song a lot on the radio. That was a big hit. I don't recall a lot of bands from the era coming out of Calgary, uh, but the Stampeders were were definitely the biggest, and they sounded and, like it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but you know, I was into songs like Wild Eyes. Yeah, um, but then uh, Sweet City Woman comes along. And um, with with the banjo at the beginning and, and yeah. the, uh, uh, it, you know, again, another very sort of pleasant crossover song that could be played by any radio station. Yes. Yeah, that was a that was a massive hit. And, uh, you know, again, I mean, kind of like, hey, Virginia, just one of those ones that, you know, every time it would come on the radio, you just you know, would perk up and, um, it just grabbed you. And, uh, I, uh, what a special song that one is. And, you know, they, that was their, their, I guess the peak of their success. They did have another hit. Um, Oh, my lady who was who, who wild eyes. Now I'm forgetting. Is that? Yeah. Wild eyes was the Sam Peters. Was that them? Okay. So there are three hit wonder, I guess. Uh, but, um, you know, um, yeah, that's a great song too. It's funny. I had forgotten about that. Song. Yeah. With the big twangy guitar at the beginning. 
Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, but um, yeah, no, I, I was thrilled. And again, a rather faithful version by the matinee. But um, so what? I mean, I don't, you know, listen, uh, some songs just stand up so well that, um, you know, you, you you do a faithful version and it's um, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But uh, yeah, I don't know how many songs, especially rock songs, um, have banjos, but uh, that, that might be the most famous one. Well, listen, I mean, it took until 2008 for Mumford & Sons to come along. True. So they were way ahead of their time. And the final song on the record is, is Jesse Winchester, who was not a Canadian. Draft Dodger. Yes. Yep, which is um, fascinating. Uh, I, I think, again, I, I mentioned this in the notes, but it was the one artist, the one artist I um, had not heard of. I didn't know the song. I didn't know the artist. Um, and again, I once I did the research, it's like, oh, and he was around and he did some stuff. And um, and then the whole interesting backstory with, um, you know, coming to Canada to avoid the draft. Um, so um, I was thankful that Tara Holloway did it just because I got to learn about an artist I really knew nothing about. Um, but I love her version. It's also faithful, but she's got a real quality in her voice. There's a grittiness to her voice that I think really works well with this song. Um, but it's funny, you know, what we're sitting here talking and... and you know, the one thing it really reminds me of also is that, you know, that that was a time when you, you couldn't choose what you wanted to listen to at the moment. You know, you, you were sort of a, a slave to whatever was going to come on to the radio. So, to me, in a weird way, that's kind of one of the most significant changes in, in, you know, how music is consumed, if not the most significant change. You know, I mean, I even think back to much music and, you know, you'd sit there and and wait for a video to come on that you liked. And um, you'd kind of watch their top 10 program to, to and, you know, hope that you're going to see the, the video you'd want to see. And boy, has have things changed, you know, uh, if you want to watch a video, you're not going to sit and sit through a bunch of commercials and cross your fingers. You're going to go to YouTube and, and just search it. And of course with music, you're just going to go to Spotify or Apple or Amazon or wherever you're going to uh, listen and, and do the same thing. And, you know, for people who are born now, I, I think like my kids, like they have no idea that um, the world was not on demand um, at that time. Uh, and I think that's really changed everything as far as music consumption goes. I would love to see the original list of all the songs that you had available uh, for covering, uh, you know, five man electrical band. I was just going to say that. I swear to God, I was just going to say that because that's one that I kind of hoped people somebody would pick up on um, uh, because they were awesome and they had success in the States. I mean, they, they, yeah. there was, there was werewolf. There was absolutely right. There were signs, signs. And then there was um, stranger here. As I'm a stranger here. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, my favorite. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, they, um, they were great. I mean, there's a whole bunch. I mean, nobody did the guess who, which I guess that they sort of expanded beyond AM and they're, they're more than what you would call a, you know, a one hit. Well, and, and they're also not, not forgotten. Or, or they're, they're 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 still active. I mean, Burton and and, and Randy are still touring together. Yes. So you know, it's it's not like if you hear a Guess Who song, you don't go, "Oh wow, I remember when." You hear, you think, "Oh, it's a Guess Who song." Yes, exactly right. Uh, yeah, same thing with Neil Young. I mean, oh, it's a Neil Young song. But yeah, but they, I, mean, I can't. I mean, there must be a hundred more acts. Oh, you know who we didn't mention, and we should is um because the guy who covered the April Wine song when that got rejected, ended up doing a um, Edward Bear song. Okay, uh, Edward Bear. 
Which is another one of those ones where, like, I remember all I remember thinking in the 70s was that there was a dude named Edward Bear. Yes. Which, of course, there isn't. It was a band, not a not a guy. But that's another one where, you know, I, I couldn't tell you who that guy is. I mean, I looked it up. I saw the name. Uh, do you know who that was? It was. I, I, I know it was, it was a, a bunch of people from, I think, from Ontario or from Montreal. And uh, everything I learned about them recently or remembered about them recently was I was listening to Casey Kasem on satellite radio and he was talking, he had a, it was 1972 and he had this whole thing on, on Edward Baird. I think they, uh, uh, what song was it? Um, last song was last the song. That one did very well all over the world. And that's the one that James covered, which I love. Um, and, but they had uh, the one that I remember like just striking me in the seventies was um me and you down in Mexico. Yes. Um, which, you know, again, strange song. Um, didn't really understand it as a kid. Didn't, didn't, couldn't quite grasp what it was about, but loved it. I mean, every time it came on the radio, it just perked me up. Uh, and, um, yeah, just another one of those mysterious bands that it's like, who are they? And yet, you know, you go and look at it. And I think they had three or four, like really big mm-hmm. hits that expanded beyond Canada. Um, yeah, and you go back and you look at some of those labels, like a Daffodil label, for example, yeah. that, that had uh, all these, these pop hits that have, have since, you know, completely disappeared. Ian Thomas, there's a, another guy. Uh, I love Ian Thomas. And um, I was hoping somebody was going to do that. I had put um, a foot in cold water. Another one was on that list. Um, Mash McCann. No, who's, who's that again? I know the name, but I have to be they're, honest. They're out of, out of Hamilton. And they, uh, I think they were mostly an indigenous band. That's interesting. And they, they had, uh, oh, maybe that was from the 60s. Maybe that was from the 60s. Oh, how about Chilliwack? Yeah, they were definitely on the list. And, um, you know, they also had international success, although I think most of that came in the 80s with um, mm. Gone, 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 Gone. Gone. Yeah. Um, certainly those songs from the 70s are are amazing. Like I have a, I have a weird sort of thing about them because um, uh, you might remember this, but you know, very, very early in my career before 604 records, when I was just the lawyer guy, um, I was involved in a lawsuit with Sarah McLaughlin and um, you know, my client sued Sarah McLaughlin and Bill Henderson was their expert witness. Ooh. So I actually had to cross examine Bill Henderson <laughs> in court. And um, it, it was a bit, um, it was a bit heartbreaking because, like, I, I I love them so much. I hated being adversarial with him because um, Chilliwack meant a lot to me as a kid. Like that that the, they had so many hits. My God, um, oh, yeah. um, so talented. And and then they had their sort of breakout later on. And um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, they they were everywhere on the radio in the seventies for sure. Well, maybe we have enough here for volume two. I would love to do it. In fact, we're talking about maybe doing a either a 60s or an 80s version. Um, same same rules. Had to be a hit. Had to be CanCon. Um, so we're thinking about doing that as well. But um, I, I, I love it because it's not just that it's like a personal vanity project, which it is. But it's also that um, to hear bands now giving a spin on something that they were not even alive for is really thrilling. And um, I think it was a good experience for them too. And I know in at least a couple of cases kind of led them back to some of this music. Um, I know for sure a couple of them were like, man, uh, 
I dug back into a bunch of those songs and I didn't even know any of these artists existed. So, um, you know, Canada's got a really proud history of Canadian bands. And I know it's everybody's dream to make it, you know, all over the world. And, and that's a wonderful dream. And I'm lucky I've been involved with some bands who've done that. But there's nothing wrong with having a Canadian career either. And, um, you know, that's maybe part of the lesson here, too. You can actually have a nice career um, in Canada. And um, a lot of these bands did, had very nice careers in Canada. And, um, you know, I'm, I, I think it's something we should be proud of. You know, one of the things that we did very poorly in this country was document our own oh. musical history. Somebody froze. Oh, one of, one of us. <laughs> wow, you froze too. Joseph, can you hear me? Okay, you know what? I'm stopping my video. So maybe that'll help. Hello. There we go. That, that brought you back. So I, I stopped my video. You don't need it, I guess. Um, Canadians did a, a terrible job of documenting their cultural history for a very long time. Yep. And, uh, you know, in, in the 1970s, we'll, we'll finish it up here. 1970s, we had all these radio stations that were uh, really annoyed that they had to play a certain amount of Canadian content. So what they would do is they would edit all these songs down to you know 90 seconds each and then play them all between 11 and midnight each each day. Um, so they would get something like, you know, 18 or 20 songs in that last hour of the broadcast day, which would help them make their Canadian content quota yes. uh, before the CRTC caught on and said, you know, we can't do these beaver hours anymore. You have to, you have to, you know, play them throughout the day. Um, and, uh, and I understand why they were doing that because I've, for the most part, I mean, for all the songs that we've mentioned here, there were dozens and dozens and dozens of more that really stunk. <laughs> they really did. No, yeah, yeah. The CanCon thing's tough. Like it's, I, I have very mixed feelings about it, and I always have. And I mean, you know, I I remember when Bruce Allen and Brian Adams really took on the government about it after. Yeah, it was one point five points CanCon exactly. So, yeah. um, so I have mixed feelings about it because I mean, on the one hand, you kind of want to think that things should just stand on their merits, and um, and but. You know, on the other hand, the truth is a lot of bands who deserved a break wouldn't have gotten one if it wasn't for CanCon. So I, I think, when, you know, at the end of the day, I probably would would tend to think it's a good thing. But I understand why some people think it's not. But I mean, even with our label, I mean, we have a lot of bands who certainly if it wasn't for CanCon, you know, I don't know that they would have gotten the start they got. And I mean, even even a band like, you know, Nickelback, who, you know, as much as people thought everything started with how you remind me, you know, it didn't. I mean, there were two albums before Silver Side Up and, um, you know, Curb, that very first album, which got a lot of play in Western Canada. Um, would that have happened without CanCon rules? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But, um, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, I, I, I support it. I mean, we do live right next door to, uh, you know, the most powerful country in the world and who have the most powerful media in the world. And, probably not a bad idea that we set up a bit of a protection system to uh, protect our culture. Yeah. Otherwise we'll become another Kardashian nation. We can't have that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Jonathan. This has been a lot of fun. I, um, I could go on forever about AM radio in the seventies here in Canada, because that's how I grew up. That's what I listened to. And, and yeah, uh, it, it's in, in the idea of the, the push button radio, the idea of all these top 40 radio stations that you had to identify with or, or jump between the contests that you played and all, you know, 
it was just a, a really interesting, innocent time for, for all of us because we were so young. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I say. I mean, I wonder, sometimes I'm like, you know, music was way better in the 70s, but is that true? Or is it just that, you know, <laughs> I was younger, happier, not jaded, not bitter. <laughs> and so everything seemed better in the 70s. But uh, those songs still stand the test of time. I, I That I will say. And um, I, I'm really thrilled that we're putting this out. Well, uh, congratulations on it. Good luck with it. Uh, I can't wait to sit down and listen to it because uh, I'm sure it's going to bring back a whole whack of memories. Uh, well, thank you for doing this. Uh, you seem like the the absolute right choice to do this. I think, I think you and I are of a very similar vintage and, uh, you know, I, I respect your uh, musical knowledge so much. So thank you. I, I really appreciate it. It was nice to also talk to somebody who remembers the 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88 with the Delco radio and the terrible green interior. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, all right. We were, oh, sorry. Go on. Sorry. We, we were both there. We both lived it. We both did live it. It's true. Uh, yeah. But uh, all right, man. Well, thanks again. And um, I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. You bet. Thanks a lot. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.